Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Well, uh, last week we started a new sermon series. We're just continuing on today. And um, I started out last week by saying, um, it doesn't feel good to be misunderstood. Um, You know what I mean? Because it doesn't feel good to be misunderstood, right? I hate being misunderstood. I'm just one of those people. I think it's because I have this thing in me where I want to be liked by people. And so when I feel like I'm misunderstood by someone, it just, like, it just really, really hurts, uh, hurts my heart. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever sent a text someone and the autocorrect kicked in and then you, press, then you press send before you got a chance to read it? And then you just sent something gnarly, you know? And you're like, no! Um, so I think a lot of time, you know, we, we, we encounter misunderstandings all the time in our lives. And sometimes they don't, they're, they're not a big deal, right? Sometimes we just have misunderstandings and it doesn't really matter. Um, but sometimes we have misunderstandings with people that have a potential to hurt a relationship. For some of us, we've got maybe some, some fractured, broken relationships because there was a misunderstanding and, and, and so it fractured relationships. Some misunderstandings have little consequences. Some misunderstandings have big consequences. And I really believe that a lot of the misunderstandings that we have of the scriptures, of the Bible, that those come with really big consequences. We see it all throughout history that when people read the Bible in, in, um, in disrespectful ways, in, in ways that isn't respecting what the Bible actually is and what it's saying, when people just take the Bible, take a verse here, take a verse here, and just make it be whatever they want it to mean, that the, the consequences are steep, They're steep. In fact, some of you pushed off church for a long time because that was a little bit your story. You just had enough of, you know, just, just, and, or or maybe you were taught certain things about the Bible. And then later on in life, you, you revisited some of those things and you said, and you said, man, I was taught all this stuff about the scriptures and it wasn't even true. And so, you you know, you're coming back and re-asking some of those questions for sure. We could look in our history and we could see all the different ugly ways that the scripture has been twisted in order to keep people in power and have people leverage that power in ways that, 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 that God would frown on, that, that would make God furious. We have all that stuff in our history. And so what a, you know, one of the best things that we can do, and this is like our tradition at Westside about the past seven or so years, every January, we take a few weeks and we just talk about this. We figure if we're going to spend the rest of the year reading scriptures from this and, and just becoming learners and disciples, then let's take a few weeks and let's talk about can I trust this? How do I engage this? How do, how do I read this? I mean, what, what is this about? Because the Bible can be easily misunderstood. And so what a cool thing for us to be able to take just a couple weeks. And I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. Maybe you've been reading this Bible forever and ever and ever. I want to encourage those of you who, if that's your story, then could you come to the scriptures with a posture of, of humility and learning again? Because you don't know everything. There's so much more to learn. There's so much more for the Lord to 
do in our hearts. And so let's drop some of our arrogance when it comes to thinking that we know everything there is about the Bible. And then for other, others of us, you're coming and the Bible's brand new for you. Like you, you, you just were never taught. Like you never grew up in Sunday school. I, I grew up in, in a, I'm really, really grateful that I grew up in a home where, you know, we went to church and, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we had, a, we had Bibles in our house and we even had like superheroes that were, uh, that were uh, from the Bible. There's this guy named Salty. I don't know if you remember, if you grew up in Christian culture, then you know Salty, who was like a big, gigantic book, and he was like the Christian superhero. We even had, uh, we haven't had songs about the Bible. It was the B-I-B. Yes, that's, okay, come on. I stand alone on the word of God. Oh, see, now some of you know, all right? This, you were raised with this. And those of you who weren't, you're like, whoa, these people are weird. Like, what? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, for some of us, we just grew up kind of in it. Let's drop the arrogance and let's come as, as learners. But then for some of us, man, it's brand new. What a really cool thing that we get to, that we get to dive in. And then some of us are coming with, uh, some of you are coming with uh, a lot of baggage when it comes to scripture. You've got a lot of cynicism. You've got a lot of questions and you're like, man, I don't know. Can we really believe this? And what about this? And wasn't it twisted over time? And can we really trust it? And wasn't the Bible written for like, people that couldn't understand how the sun worked. But like now that we have science and now that we understand all that, like, do we really even need it? You know, we're all coming with all sorts of assumptions in different places from the scripture. Um, and so I just, uh, I don't know, I just want us to, all of us to just come with some humility and just explore the topic. How do we understand the Bible? What is, it, what is it about? So, hey, if you're one of those people that's unconvinced, if you're one of those people that's like, man, I don't know if I can believe any of it. A couple things, just real quick. So for, for you, I would say, please don't push the Bible away because some Christians have misunderstood and misused it. Please don't push it away because some Christians have misunderstood it and, and misused it. Certainly that's happened. Okay, but it's funny that we don't do that with other things. Like people have misused and abused cars and we don't swear away cars. You know, people have misused and abused food and we don't, we don't you know, just say no to food, right? I mean, there's all sorts of, what, what on God's green earth have human beings not misused and misunderstood and abused? And so just please don't push it away just because it has been twisted and misused in the past. Um, number two is please don't, put, please don't push the Bible away because it offends us offends you in places. Because think about it, if the Bible was true, like if it really was true, if it wasn't just something that we're coming up with on our own, if it's really something that's coming in from outside of ourselves, then it's going to offend you in places. If the Bible's true, that means it's going to offend you. It's going to offend you in places. That means it's going to offend every single culture at every single time. It's going to offend every single culture at every single different period of time in different places. That's one of the proofs that it's true. A lot of times, sometimes people just don't, you know, we just skip the parts of the Bible that, don't, that offend us or that we don't kind of like or that we don't understand. And when we do that, what we end up is we just end up creating a Bible in our own making and turn God into our image instead of us realizing that God has created us in, him, in his image. We can't do that. So that's number two. And then number three, please consider that you've pushed the Bible away because you think it teaches something that it doesn't actually teach. And we've spent time on this in the past and I can't go into it, but sometimes people push the Bible away because they're like, man, isn't there like a bunch of polygamy in here? Like, does it, it's like promoting polygamy? Like we can't, we can't trust this thing. When really, if you get into it, you actually realize that sure, there's a lot of polygamy in it, but it never works out well for anyone. 
In fact, it just, it just destroys everyone who has multiple spouses in the scripture. This Bible isn't promoting polygamy, it's undermining it. It's cutting it out at the knees. But see, if you don't realize that, then you could push the Bible away, mistakenly thinking that it's teaching something that it doesn't actually teach. And so just consider those things just as we talk about the scriptures. Last week, we talked about just some interpretive tools. So if you missed last week, just check it out on the, pe- on the podcast. It's on YouTube. Just get caught up. This week, though, I want to talk about what it will do to you if you dare to engage it. What it has the potential to do to you if you dare to engage it. Um, but before I get into this awesome scripture, this short scripture from the book of Hebrews, um, just to catch us all up and just to introduce you to this great, great nonprofit organization up in Portland called The Bible Project. So endorse everything that they do because it's so helpful and visual. They've done all these video, seri- video series on all sorts of different things. And one that they've done recently is this video series on what is the Bible? And so I just wanted to show you this first one because it just kind of gets us caught up on just what the Bible's all about and how it was made and what is in it. So could we roll that video and watch it together? The Bible, it's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And... These prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually they were conquered by the Babylonians who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible, what's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the law. That's Israel's five book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this second temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, 
A few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff, was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years, and from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Okay, I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video. Hey, helpful, huh? I love it. There's so many more, so check it out. But I just thought, felt like that was a really, really great primer on like, oh, especially if you're one of those people who are like, wait a minute, I've picked up like my, you know, a friend's Catholic Bible and there's other books in there. Like, where do those come from? And like, oh, is that scripture too? And you know, so that video helps uh, explain some of those questions that maybe some of us have had. Uh, and hopefully we just stay learners. I wanna read you from this, uh, this book in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews, uh, there's, this, there's this little part that's often preached on when it comes to just, it's one of the places in scripture that talks about itself. And it's so helpful just because there's some words in here that describe God's words to us through the scriptures that are just helpful in helping us understand what the scriptures will do to you if you dare, if you dare to just engage it. Um, I'll read it to you. It's from Hebrews chapter four, just two verses, verse 12 and 13. It says this, for the word of God, and it's one of the ways that is, is used to describe the scriptures, that it's God's very words to us. Um, the word, I had a friend in college, by the way, who um, did something really clever. He named his bed the word, all right? He just, that's what he named his bed. And so he'd come out in the morning after sleeping in and we'd be like, Stephen, where have you been all morning? He's like, oh, I've been in the word. Just been in the word, just deep in the word. It's Christian lingo, you know, for like, for reading the scriptures. Let me read it to you. It says, the word of God is active and alive sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give 
account. Just two verses, but they're just, oh, it's rich. It's rich. It's a couple of things. First, uh, the author of Hebrews says that the word of God is alive. It's alive. Um, there's a lot of really, really great books out there, right? Classics. Uh, I remember the very first book that I ever cried at was Where the Red Fern Grows. Anybody remember Where the Red Fern Grows? <laughs> yeah, I sobbed when I read that book. I mean, there's so many. I've read all the Lord of the Rings books to my kids. You know, I mean, there's some classic, classic books. But, what, 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 but the scripture, but the Bible has a claim that other classic books aren't claiming. There's a lot of great books in the world, but the Bible's different. The Bible's more. The Bible makes this claim that it's alive. Another word to describe that is it's inspired. It's inspired. And that word comes from, you know, we think about in Genesis at the very beginning that, that, that God's going to create humanity and out of the dust, God like blows his, his life like into the dust and out comes, out comes humanity. It's this beautiful picture of God just blowing his life into something, something that was dust by itself, but with, with God's life, it becomes something so much more. And the scriptures are making the same claim that even though the scriptures were written by humans, people who are flawed, people who are you know, not perfect, but that God's spirit was, like, was, like, was breathing on that in a way to where now these become God's words to us, it makes this claim that it's alive. And that's a, a claim that not other books can make. That means it's not like a textbook where you just go for information. It's not just a novel where you're just reading a story. And it's not like a self-help book with like pithy tips and quotes. That it's not any of those things. That the scripture is doing all sorts of things at the same time. And it's like morphing and it's, and it's adapting itself to your circumstance, to the world's circumstance. And in that way, it's it's alive. It's alive. Um, one quote that I appreciate by this guy named A.T. Robertson, he said, the greatest proof that the Bible is inspired is that it has withstood so much bad preaching. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, there's no book like this in its influence and its life-changing power. Why? Because it's alive. It's alive. Another quote that I love is from David Guzik. He says this, every generation gives rise to those who really believe uh, they will put the last nails in the coffin that will bury the Bible. Yet, it never, never works. The Bible outlives and outworks and outinfluences all of its critics. Catch this. It is the anvil that has worn out many, many hammers. I love that. I love that. That is just, it's alive, it's dynamic, it's not wooden, which would make sense. That if, you, if you think about it, if God's trying to convey his words to humans, then he's got to do it in a way that, because you know, think about it, who's God going to write this book for? Is he going to write it to, you know, um, intellectuals who have graduated college? Is he going to write it to uh, rice farmers in China in the year 1400? Is he going to write it towards baby boomers? Is he going to write it to, uh, you know, to uh, some Roman centurion in the year 200 AD? I mean, who's God going to write this, write this for? I mean, if God were to take one form of literature and have it apply to like one specific people, one specific time, then it would be, it would be, be so, so hard to speak to other, to other cultures. But yeah, here's what God decided to do. God decided to have this, this, library of books that were coming from these different cultures and these different people. And even though it was written to these people in a specific culture, that its words reverberate throughout history and throughout time and, 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 generate, and, and crosses generational boundaries and crosses geographical boundaries. And that it just, it's got to be this dynamic book that you can't master. You can't master it. Why can't you master? You can see, you can master a textbook. 
You know, you can master a novel. You can master, you can read that and like, oh, I read that. But the Bible's different. It's not wooden, it's alive. It's alive. The other claim that, that so the scripture from Hebrews makes is that um, it's not only alive, but it's active. It's active, literally at work. That it's alive and it's at work. It, it, and when we engage it, it moves, it's, it's, it works. Um, and like, and not just, not, we, don't, we don't just believe it just because it works, but we have to, we're trusting that as we read it, that it's working on us, it's working in us, that he wants to be, here's the, here's the vision of, of following Jesus, is not that you would just have some more information. That is not what the Bible's necessarily for, primarily. It's just to give you some knowledge. The reason why is because if that was its function, then it would be easily, it, we would just become easily people who are just puffed up with knowledge. We have all this Bible knowledge and zero character, and that is not gonna change the world. And that is not the thing that pleases the heart of God. He doesn't need people with just a bunch of information. The goal of the scripture and the, the, the focus of Christianity also isn't just to like save you from your sins so that someday when you die, you can go to heaven. That's like a slice, like a, like a, like a, like a just a little tiny piece of the story. Well, the bigger part of the story is that what God wants to do, he wants to do in us right now, having his character be formed in us that Christ is literally like growing inside of us. And as we engage with the scriptures, that's one of the things that it does. It's working on us. Like a, like a farmer would work on, on, uh, in the field, just plowing, plowing and sowing seeds and watering, that this is what the scripture says it's doing. So in that sense, we're aren't, we aren't reading it, it's reading us. It's reading us. And this is kind of the scary thing about reading scripture is you're not just reading for information and just kind of like, you know, like let it live up here. But the scripture is just going to push you that, no, you can't just let it live up here. In fact, there's all sorts of other scriptures that we could go to where, whereas the apostle Paul and others are encouraging people, hey, do not be deceived. Do not think that Christian following Jesus is all about just like a mental exercise and just knowing stuff. He says, no, 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 that would, that would, that's not the point. The point is that it goes from here and it gets down into here and therefore then comes out and transforms this and this and this. This is why every time we gather, but when, when we leave, we say, hey, let's go and be the hands and feet of Jesus because we're supposed to be different because of who he says he is and what he's doing. And the scripture is one of those things that helps do that to us. It helps tell us the truth about ourselves. And that leads us to the next one. It says it's, it's alive and active. And then it says it's sharp. It's sharp. I love this one. It says that it's sharp and it's sharp like a, like a sword. And it specifically says like a double-edged sword. What, is, what does that mean? Um, I think... The problem sometimes when it comes to, to scripture is, well, I'll just be honest with you. Just as a pastor, this is one of my biggest struggles with scripture is Sunday comes every week. Did you guys know that? It's like weekly. And every Sunday there's like a sermon to preach. And so you know what I can do so often when it comes to scripture? When I'm reading scripture, guess what I'm doing? I'm not reading, I'm not reading for me sometimes, I'm coming up with a sermon for all y'all. And it, this can become, if not acknowledged, it could become very, very dangerous. And this happens in churches all the time where I'm reading the scripture, but I'm kind of treating it like a sword and like, like a, like a one edge sword where I'm like, 
This is for you people. Like, okay, here's what you need to know about the Bible. This is what we, people often, how they treat the Bible is they use it as a sword, but guess on, guess on who? On everybody else. Hey, you know, hey, husband, you know, hey, wife, you know, hey, you people, hey, kids, there's this verse about obey your parents, you know, like we're just using it on everybody else, using it on everybody else. And I love that this scripture says that it is sharp like a double-edged sword. Because you know what a double-edged sword is going to do? It's going to cut both ways. It has to cut both ways. That before, before I'm going to go do this, I've got to do this. Like it's got to go this way. Lord, like what, what, how, how do I need to be transformed? And so as a pastor and a leader, like I've just, we've, and you all know this, but like if I've got, if I'm not applying it to me, if I'm not letting it fill me and get in here, then I might be able to come up with some great sermons for a while, but after a while, it just becomes surface, just become, and it becomes empty. And one of the best things that I can do as a human is I can say, all right, I'm going to read the scripture, but I'm going to read it first and foremost to say, Lord, what, what needs to trans be transformed in me today? What do you want to say to me? Before I think about what anybody else needs to hear, well, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And I'm just speaking as a pastor, but I know that that is a struggle that all of us feel. Because sometimes we open up the scriptures and we're like, oh, yeah, I wish my liberal friend would read this. Or you could be somebody else and be like, oh, I wish my conservative friend would read this. Oh, man, I wish this people group would get, man, they, those people, they just don't get it. And sometimes we just read it for everybody else except ourselves. And so the scripture says, hey, watch out, watch out, because the scripture will cut. It will cut. It's supposed to. It's, it's going to offend us in all sorts of different ways. It's going to tell us the truth about ourselves. That's one of the testaments to its validity, that it will just tell us the truth. I was having a meal with a friend the other day at Coffee Plant Roaster down the street from the loft, and uh, they had a burrito. And after eating the burrito, there was this big black bean, like stuck in the bottom tooth right here, you know? And so, I'm, I'm, you know, we're talking, and it wasn't a big deal, but I was like, I had my eye on that black bean burrito, you know, that black bean. Because it was a little distracting, but you know, whatever. It's like no big deal. So we had a great talk. And you know what a, you, you know what a good friend should do? Let them know, right? They got to know. And so before we left, I was like, hey, before you get to the next thing, yeah, you know, I got a thing. And guess what they said? Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for not letting me march off to my next meeting with this big black bean in my teeth. See, we love it. We, 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 uh, on one hand, we love it when people tell us the truth. And then sometimes, though, we come to the scripture and we just don't want it to tell us the truth. And we just push it away and we're like, no, thank you very much. But what I want to do with sex is my business. Oh, what I want to do with my finances, that's, that's my business. Don't, don't touch that stuff, God. Oh, you want to talk to me about this, about, talk about this? Ah, uh, no, no, no. Like, ah, uh, forget it. And sometimes we, it's like, it's like we have this love-hate relationship with the truth. Where you want the truth, don't you? All of us do. You want your doctor to tell you the truth, right? We want, we want our mechanic to tell us the truth, right? But sometimes when we come to the scripture, we, we just have this love-hate relationship with it. But here's the thing. If we let it do what it's going to do, man, it's going to read you more than you're reading it. It will cut. And just let it cut here first before it goes anywhere else. The scripture is sharp. The other thing that it says is it says, um, by the way, our culture, our culture does not need a bunch of Christians going out into the world just doing this to people. That's not going to change our culture. That's not going to change our world. 
Don't go out there to people who don't believe in the scriptures at all and be like, well, it says in Deuteronomy. Because do you know what they care about Deuteronomy? Nothing. <laughs> they don't care about Deuteronomy. They don't care what it says. And so the strategy for reaching our culture isn't like, hey, you know, here's the Bible, here's what it says. The strategy, the Blaise Pascal, I think, said it the best. Blaise Pascal, a famous scientist um, that we owe lots of scientific discovery to, he said it this way. He said, he said, hey, if you want to make an impact in your culture, he said, make people wish that the message was true and then show them that it is. I love that. In other words, in other words, how about we live lives that are just so countercultural? What if we live lives where we just actually let the, the character of Christ be formed in us in a way that just makes us different? And sure, the world's not going to understand all those differences, is going to get frustrated by some of those differences. But what made, the earth, what made the church grow exponentially in those first few centuries is that the world stepped back and said, how are these people so forgiving? How are these people just so, they, how, how, how are they like this? What, what caused this? These people, they just believed that Christ was supposed to be formed in them. And the best thing that we can do is go out into the world with the scripture transforming us, making us alive, making us just ready to forgive, just making us humble. People who take power, that whatever authority or power that we have, and we walk in the ways of Jesus where we lay down that power because Jesus with all the power under his feet came and washed his disciples' feet. That's how we yield our power. And people who yield power like that, they rule the world. But they rule the world in the way that Jesus wants us to rule the world. In humility. That if we can just do that, man, people suddenly will want to maybe know what the book of Deuteronomy says. That's where it starts. Let's let it cut this way. Lastly, um, the scripture says that um, it, you know, it's alive, it's active, it's, it's sharp. And then lastly, it, it illuminates. It illuminates. Do you remember what it says? Uh, go back. It says that it, it, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That it, it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything's uncovered and laid bare. Everything gets illuminated for the eyes of, of, of him to whom we must give account. Um, the scripture also illuminates. It illuminates stuff happening in our heart, but it also gives us a lens to see the world. I brought um, my sweet Tom Cruise aviator sunglasses that I found in my truck earlier today. Um, I brought these because the, the funny thing about when you wear glasses or sunglasses is, see, you don't buy sunglasses to look at them. Right? Nobody does that. If you do do that, then we'll, we'll pray for you, okay? But like, you don't buy glasses to look at them, correct? What do you do? You buy glasses to look through them. That's why they're glasses. That's how they function and form. And so often, sometimes the Bible gets treated like something to just look at. But the scripture says, and what we know about this is that when we let this transform us, now suddenly we look at everything differently. We look at ourselves differently. We look at others differently. We look at the world differently. It becomes this lens. See, without it, we would just be so confused about what success, what true success looks like. I mean, we're just, our world's really confused about what true success looks like. What is, this, what is success? Is it, is it when you make a million? Is it when you make five million? 
Is it when you make six figures? Is it, is it when you, you know, what, what certain car that you have? I mean, like when a certain amount of followers that you have, I mean, what, what does success look like in our world? Nobody can tell us. And therefore we just, we just engage in the crazy soul sucking rat race of trying to be people who mattered in the world. And it's exhausting because it's a moving target. Nobody can tell you. But in walks God's words to us. And suddenly now I can have a metric for what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean? I, I can now look at the world and I see just what God's doing and I can see just, just how I can help and I, can, I have new language and, and new categories for what God wants to build in our world that I didn't have before. It's alive, it's active, it, it cuts, it's sharp, and it illuminates, it illuminates. Um, in a second band, I'm gonna have you come up, but not yet, okay, not yet. We're, we're gonna close, but I just wanted to just, just, this is a little anecdotal, but I just wanted to share, uh, the, the scripture has changed my life. And I didn't become a serious reader of scriptures until I was a sophomore in high school. Before that, I was a part of a family where like, oh yeah, the Bible, I'm supposed to read that. Um, but I didn't really. But God got a hold of my life my sophomore year of high school, and that was the change for me. Suddenly, I came home from this conference that I went to, and now I didn't um, have to read the Bible. Now I wanted to read the Bible. It was the weirdest thing. It was like, it was like I, I just had a hunger just to, just to learn and grow and just, you know, like, oh, what does this mean? What does this say? That, it happened to me in sophomore year. I don't know maybe when it happened for you or I don't know if it has happened for you yet. Just, just that switch, just that thing that happened. But um, scripture has transformed my life and I just want to share it one place. Um, it's from Luke chapter seven. Um, there's a story that when I, when I read it with like the right eyes, it, it wrecked me. And it, and it changed my life forever. In Luke 7, there's this story of Jesus and he's hanging out, um, you know, just having a meal somewhere. And this woman comes and she's obviously, um, a, she's a woman that has a past. She's a woman that has a reputation in town, not a good reputation. And she comes and she sits at the feet of Jesus and she has this jar of perfume that's ex incredibly expensive. And she breaks this jar of perfume and she like washes Jesus's feet with it. And the Pharisees, the religious people who were all there watching this, they just get so angry. They get angry at Jesus. They're like, don't, Jesus, don't you know who this woman is? And you're letting her touch you? Like you're letting her do this to you? Like if you were really a prophet, you would know. Like what you're allowed, like, like who you're fraternizing with, like what you're allowing. And Jesus takes this opportunity to, to, in this incredible, like beautiful picture of worship, this extravagant worship, this very expensive perfume that she's just pouring on the feet of Jesus. He tells this parable and he says, hey, let me tell you a story, guys. He says, there were two, two people and they both owed the same person money. One guy owed 500 bucks and one guy owed five bucks. Both of their debts, both of what they were owed were canceled. The guy that, 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 um, that they owed said, I, I'm canceling both of your de debts. And Jesus said, which one, which one of these two guys loves, loved, the, loved the, the person that canceled their debt the most? Which one had the most love in their heart for this person that canceled the debt? And they think about it for a second and the answer is obvious, which, we would, which they gave the right answer. They said, well, the guy who 
was forgiven 500 bucks. He's, he's more thankful. He's more grateful. He loves the, that moneylender even more because the debt got canceled. And Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Because he who, or the person who is forgiven little, loves little. But the person who is forgiven much, loves much. See, I grew up, um, I, I, was, I, was a, I was a pretty good kid in the sense of good. Um, I never like went into any, I went, never went to any like drunken parties in high school. I never really did anything like bad or, you know, I never did anything that was gonna get me in like too much trouble. I got great grades, um, which on the surface you would think like, oh, that's a really great kid. But do you know what I did have? I had a lot of pride and self-righteousness in my heart. I'm not like those other people. I'm good. God loves me more. And in this story, Jesus is saying something so profound. And when I got it, it just, it wrecked me. It broke me and it, and it transformed me. Jesus wasn't saying that there's some people that are forgiven five bucks and there's some people that are forgiven 500 bucks. Jesus wasn't saying that there are some people who are forgiven little and other people who are forgiven much. Jesus was making a statement. He's trying to help them understand that every single one of us is, is, is that person who owes 500 bucks. That we, every single one of us has a debt that we can't pay and it has been forgiven. But when you think that you were forgiven little and that other people have a lot more to be forgiven of, guess how much your compassion and your love is gonna be towards others. It's gonna be stunted. It's gonna be small. You're just gonna live just like a turned inward life. He said, here's what Jesus was trying to say. All of us have been forgiven so much. And when you realize that you are not better than anyone else and that you need to be forgiven just as much as anyone else on the planet, no matter what goodness you think you have, when you realize that you need to be forgiven as much as anyone else, that opens up your eyes to see God's great grace and love. And now suddenly, like the Grinch, your heart will grow several sizes. And that's what my heart needed. Guys, just an example of the scripture is gonna transform you if you dare, if you dare to engage. Bam, would you come back up? Um, I'm gonna pray for us. And I want us to respond like we often do by taking communion. It's just, a, it's this ancient meal that Christians throughout the centuries have just come together with. It's, it's, it's beautiful, it's profound, it's rich. It's, it's, there's so many levels to it, but for today, um, I, just, I just wonder if as we respond, just as we sing this song and give you an opportunity to take communion, that, um, that what, if, what if we just had a sense of, of maybe you just need a, a little jolt, a little kick today. Um, the whole point of this sermon series is I just wanna encourage you to just take the Bible seriously, to approach it again in a fresh way, to, to not, even if you've given up on it in the past, like, man, I've just tried and I can't do it. What, what would it look like for you to re-engage? That means it's gonna take intentionality and a plan. What does that plan look like? How are you gonna, maybe, you know, maybe you need to get in, in a smaller group of people and just read the scriptures together. And that's why community groups are starting. Maybe that's definitely the thing that you need to jump on board. But I don't know, maybe it's just some personal habits and rhythms that you need to create so that you can, you can engage scripture again. But I just, I just wonder as we take communion that it would be this act of saying, Lord, I wanna get you in me. Like I want you formed in me. And Lord, would you help let the scriptures be one of those instruments that as I engage it, that it would transform me. Maybe we could take communion just with that, with that spin.
today. Father, um, we worship you and we love you. And Lord, I pray that um, as we respond to you and as we remind ourselves, Lord, that you, um, that you don't want to just give us some good morals so that we can be good. That's, you've got to, it's way better than that. Lord, that we would see that you want to actually put your spirit in us so that we could be transformed, so that you would be formed in us, Father. Lord, I pray that that would happen um, as we engage the scriptures. And Lord, I just pray that as we do, Lord, would you just open up our eyes? Truly, would you let the scripture come alive? That it 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 would be active, it would work. That as we come to it with our questions and with our thoughts, Lord, that you would just work on our hearts. And that as that happens, Lord, you would cut and also that it would illuminate. It would illuminate everything that's going on in our lives. Lord, we pray all that would happen as we engage the scriptures. And we know that it's all because of you. It's all because of your great grace. Transform us, make us new. In Jesus' name, amen.